You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, why don't you go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 4. It'd be helpful to have that out and open there on your lap. And while you're doing that, I want to introduce you to a man named Saul. We first meet uh, him in Acts chapter 7. Um, Our man Stephen has just opened his mouth and preached Jesus to the religious leaders of the day, and they hated it. The the text says they were enraged, and they um, drugged Stephen outside of the city, and there they stoned him. But throwing rocks is, uh, is heavy work. Uh, so before they got to the rock throwing, we, we read this in Acts chapter 7. It says, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. There's our first sort of meeting of this man. And then Acts 8 starts by saying, And Saul approved of his execution. Paul looked at the stoning of Stephen and said yes and amen to that. He deserved that. We should, we should have done that, and we should do more of that. And uh, what we see in Acts 8, that approval uh, from Saul soon became participation. So in Acts 8, uh, verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So uh, Paul was not just content, though, in, uh, you know, ravaging the church in Jerusalem. Uh, He wanted to ravage the church everywhere, every pocket of Christianity. So in Acts 9, it opens by saying, Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So so he was ready to to sort of extend the reach of the ravaging all the way out of Jerusalem, all the way to Damascus. This is what we see when we meet Saul. Um, We would refer to Saul today as a terrorist. Uh, Where are Christians? I want to kill them. I want to terrorize them. He is a hater of Jesus. His goal was to eradicate Christians and to eradicate Christianity. This is our man, Saul. But Acts 9 shows a stunning picture of a man colliding with the living God. In Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, Jesus reaches down and rescues Saul. Jesus saves Saul, and this saving work was instantaneous. Saul, who we refer to as the Apostle Paul, went from death to life. He went from lost to found. He went from perishing to a part of God's family. It was instantaneous work. And this saving work of Jesus was also deep and comprehensive work. It was so comprehensive and so deep in the life of Paul that later on Paul referred to it as becoming a new creation. That when you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Paul was a new man, and, and that new man began to seep out into his life, and he began to live a new life. His life began to slowly, over time, take on the, the, the shape of Jesus. Jesus' loves became his loves. Jesus' hates became his hates. 
The Jesus in him began to move out and into every part of his life so that Paul's life began to look like and reflect Jesus's life. So it's no surprise when we know that about Paul, it's no surprise that a man like Paul who's been saved by Jesus, profoundly changed by the person of Jesus, it's no surprise that he would write this to one of the churches that he planted, Galatians 4, 19. Paul, writing to the church, says, My dear children, that is Paul's sort of pastoral affection for this church. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until, and then listen to what he says here, until Christ is formed in you. This is Paul saying, my whole ministry is like a mother being in the pains of labor. I am toiling, I am working, I am sweating, I am laboring, and here is what I'm after. This is the one thing I want to see. That one thing is Christ formed in you. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm working for. I don't want Jesus to just be in you. As great as that is, yes, I want you to meet Jesus. I want Jesus to inhabit your heart. I want Jesus to be in you, but I don't just want Jesus to be in you. I want the Jesus in you to form you. I want your life to more and more reflect the, the life of Jesus. I want you formed, Christ formed in you. And church, I want to take a moment today and just on behalf of our pastors, look at you and say, this is our aspiration for you, our longing for you. This is what we want. This is what we're working for. This is what we're laboring for. Uh, this is what we're toiling and sweating for. Here it is for Christ to be formed in you. Christ formed in you. For, for more and more of your life to take on more and more of the shape of Jesus, for Christ to be formed in you. That's what we're hoping for. That's our pastoral sort of aspiration. It's our hope, our longing for you. It's for Christ to be formed in you. So this is where we're heading this fall. We're exploring what it looks like to be formed, what it looks like to be changed by the person of Jesus, what it looks like for day by day, moment by moment, year by year, for us to grow progressively into the image of Jesus. That's what we're exploring. So today I want to take the first step into this series called Formed. The first step in, and to do that, I want to think through with you one verse out of the Proverbs. And it's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It's a simple verse, short. It's memorizable. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it, your heart, flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, keep it, guard it. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from your heart, from it flow the springs of life. Now this passage shows us two things about formation that I want to point out and I want to just think through with you. Two things about formation. And here's the first. 
This passage shows us the location of formation. The location of formation. Again, look at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your what? Heart. Keep your heart. There's the location of formation. Now, that word heart is a huge, it is a big biblical word. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find that word showing up 900 times. So anytime a word shows up 900 times, you know you have a big theme in the Bible. You have an important word carrying a lot of cargo in the scriptures. And that is true of this word heart. So what is heart? What is the heart? When the Bible is using that word, what is it saying? Here's just a simple sort of working definition for you. The heart is the source inside of us from which all actions flow. That's the heart. It's inside of you. It's this source inside of you, right? This is why it's in this proverb, the imagery is the springs of life. It's the source inside of us from which all of our actions flow. The heart is, um, you could think of it this way. It's the inner you, the real you. If you've got the outer you, this body that you live in, the heart is the inner you. It's, it's the real you. This is why Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects a face. So if you can just uh, picture yourself looking into the water and seeing your face reflecting back from the water, uh, it's using that imagery to then be able to say, so a man's heart reflects a man. The heart is the real you. It's the, the inner you. And the heart encompasses a lot of things in your life. The heart encompasses your mind. So the heart is, is covering the terrain of uh, your thoughts and you reasoning your way to positions and to beliefs in life. Uh, this is why uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 6, we read this. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, and the Bible says they were questioning or thinking in their hearts. So, so that's the domain of our mind and our thinking. It's, it's, it's the heart. Your mind also encompasses your emotions. Uh, this is why we say things like this. Oh my gosh, she broke my, we don't say mind there, do we? No, she broke my heart, right? It's encompassing your emotions. So it's not a surprise that we would read a, t a text like this in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, the Bible says, why is your heart sad? Because it's encompassing your emotions. It's encompassing your will. I'm going to do this, not that. that. That's all happening in the domain of your heart. So it's not a surprise that we would read Paul say uh, this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Each one must give as he has decided, chosen, decided in his heart. It's, it's your will. Uh, and it's also your affections. And I want to just in particular highlight your affections. Your affections or your desires are the foundational layer of your heart. It's what's down at the core of your heart is your desires. The, the deepest contours of your heart are full of affections, longings, loves, wants, desires, hopes. As a human being, you are not primarily a thinker. You are primarily a lover, a wanter, a hoper a desirer, a longer. That, that's what you primarily are at your core. And, and all of those loves that fill up your heart, all of those affections, those desires that fill up your heart, point your life in a direction here, and then it propels your life in that direction. 
That's what's happening. All of that's happening in your heart. You put all of those things together, and now we've got a biblical portrait of what the heart is. Paul Tripp describes the heart this way. He says, the heart is the control center of your personhood. That's good imagery. He says, it's the seat of your thoughts and your desires and your emotions and motivations and your values. He says, it's your control center. Your heart, he says, is the steering wheel of your life. All of that is good imagery to describe what the Bible means when it's saying your heart. Or we could just say it this way. It's the source inside of us from which all actions flow. So this is why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Now, why would it say that? Well, here's the reason. For everything you do flows from it, Proverbs 4 says. That's why, because it's the source from which all of your actions flow. Now, this is the consistent teaching of the scriptures. So let me just point you to, to Mark chapter 7 for a moment. This is Jesus talking about your heart. He's correcting the the religious leaders of the day, and he says this in in Mark 7. He says, For from within, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus is establishing here the fruit to root principle. And he's saying all of this bad fruit, and he just has the laundry list, right? It's just sort of that comprehensive list. He could throw other things in there, but it's just a whole laundry list of bad fruit. It's sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. You can just see the list there. He's saying all of this bad fruit comes not because of your circumstances, It's not because of something out there. It's not because these people are idiots or that person did that thing to you or if you knew what they did, you would respond. No, he's saying it's not because of any of those things out there. That's not our problem. It's not an out there problem. It's an in here problem. That bad fruit comes from a bad root, he's saying. And that root that is leading to all that bad fruit is right here at your heart. So now we can see why God is first and foremost after your heart. God is first and foremost after your heart. Let me distinguish. He, He is not first and foremost after your behavior. He is first and foremost after your heart. Do you know who behaved best in the New Testament? It wasn't the disciples. Who was it? It was the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders of the day. They looked the best. They prayed the best. They knew the most. They served the most. They went to church the most. They fasted the most. They everythinged the most. They they were, they, they had the behavior thing down. But do you know who got the harshest words from Jesus in the New Testament? The Pharisees. Jesus in Mark 7 looks at them and says, these people, like these people who behave so great, I mean, they are getting an A plus in behavior, but he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Then he goes on to say, in vain do they worship me. Like they're doing all of these religious things, but Jesus is like, they are worthless. They mean nothing to me. In Matthew chapter 23, 
Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He he says, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate. In other words, your behavior is pristine. It is clean and it looks good. But inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. He says, first clean the inside of the cup, the, the heart. Clean the inside of the cup and the plate and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Your your works and your deeds look so good, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You have a bad root, he is saying. Jesus is not primarily concerned with your behavior. Now, why is that? It's because your behavior can look good while your heart is bad. It reminds me of the boy sitting by his mom in church and he decides halfway through the service that he is going to stand up right where he is on his seat right now in the middle of service. So he does it, he stands up right in the middle of church. And as soon as he stands up, his mom glares over at him and just mouths the word, you sit down right now or I will. And just, she didn't even get the last word out and he pops down. He didn't even know what the last word is. And then a few minutes later, he uh, writes a note and hands it over to him. And the mom reads the note and it says, I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That's why God is after the heart. Because you can give God your behavior while withholding yourself. But... When God has your heart, he has you, all of you. When God's got your heart, he's got the totality of you. This is why when Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Like of all the sort of commandments in the law, what is the number one? Like what is at the top of the list? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds in Matthew 22 by saying, here's the greatest. It's really simple. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Why? Because when that happens, when you love God with all of your heart, everything else in the Christian life follows. The the heart It is the location of formation. So then we need to ask, what is a fully formed heart? If that is the thing God is out to form, Christ formed in you, in your heart, what does it look like to have a fully formed, or we might say reformed heart? What does that look like? Well, a fully reformed heart looks like this. It's a heart that reflects the heart of Jesus reflexively. That's a fully formed heart. It's a heart that reflects the heart of Jesus reflexively. It's a heart that loves reflexively what Jesus loves, hates reflexively what Jesus hates, is grieved about the things that Jesus is grieved about, weeps over the things that Jesus weeps about reflexively, it's feeling and operating and seeing and responding like the heart of Jesus. That is a fully formed heart. Let me just uh, use some imagery to help tease some of this out. Imagine for a second, you're walking down, uh, we'll just call it the path. It's the straight and narrow path, and it's uh, this path with Jesus. And we'll call this path uh, the path called joy. 
That, that's the name of the path. So you're walking down this path called joy and, and Jesus, uh, because he loves us and is gracious and knows we're gonna have some problems as we walk down this path, he, he puts a fence along the path. And, and this fence goes by many names, but it, it runs beside the path to keep you from walking off the path into the surrounding wilderness called death. So, so that fence is a help to you to keep you on the path and out of the wilderness uh, called death. So uh, just imagine that moment. You're walking down the path and everything is going great. You're, you're enjoying walking down the path uh, called joy. Uh, but then all of a sudden, that person offends you. And when they offend you, you lose your mind. You, you are in rage. You are so angry that all you can think about is payback. So, so you start planning your, your payback. And it's at that precise moment when you're figuring out where you're going to hide the dead body that, that you bump into the fence. And in this moment, the fence is called fear. And, and you bump into the fence and you just, you, you bump in and stumble into it and it spurs into your sort of remembrance that I'm gonna go to prison if I do this. I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna kill this guy. I'm not gonna do that. And so you turn from the wilderness of death that your life is running toward and you turn back toward the path of joy and you get back on the path and you start walking with Jesus again down this path called joy until you meet that person at the office. And one thing leads to another and you find yourself walking straight toward the wilderness of death again. You are taking one step after another toward an affair. And right as you get to that decisive moment, to take that decisive step, you bump into the fence. Again, and this time it's called guilt. And right before you, you take that step into the wilderness of death, the Lord just brings to your mind your spouse, your kids. And you're like, man, I, I can't. I can't break their hearts like this. So you turn from the wilderness of death and you jump back onto the path and you start walking with Jesus again on the path of joy until you find yourself embittered against your neighbor because that dude's dog will not stop barking. You know what I'm saying? And so you, you just lose it. You, every time this guy's name comes up, you, you take every opportunity you can to slander and to gossip and to convince everybody around you of just how bad this guy is and especially his dog. And so every time his name comes up and all of a sudden his name comes up and you're about to open your mouth and you bump into the fence again. And this time that fence is called the law. And you remember Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your, your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And you're like, God, I want to I slander right now. I want to rip that guy to shreds with my words, but I know it's going to offend and hurt the heart of Jesus. So, so I won't. I'm not going to do that. So you turn again from the wilderness of death and you come back into the path called joy and you start walking with Jesus again. Now think about each of those moments. Um, we're all thankful for the fences out there, right? I mean, Jesus in his grace puts those fences or that fence um, beside the path to help us. We can get over the fence. We can jump it. We can act like it's not there. We can run through it. But that, that fence is there to help us along the way to keep us out of the wilderness of death. But that fence is needed only because our hearts 
are deformed. That's why the fence is needed. To a deformed heart, the path of joy looks like death and the wilderness of death looks like joy. That's what's happening in a deformed heart. But a formed heart, well, and think about that deformed heart. In each of those moments of obedience or, or returning to the path of joy, uh, that obedience is happening and that returning to the path of joy is happening because of a fence, not a reflex. Do you see that? We're having to bump into the fence and be reminded of what we're doing because our hearts want that wilderness of death. But that fence is reminding us to, to come back into the path of joy. But for a formed heart, a formed heart doesn't need a fence because it loves what's underfoot. It reflexively loves what's underfoot. Jesus is on the path. That, that heart reflexively loves Jesus. That purity is on the path. That, that, that heart loves purity. It's loving all the things that Jesus loves. It's hating all the things that Jesus hates. So, so it's loving what's underfoot. It looks at the path and says, where else would I rather be than right here on the path of joy? That's a fully formed heart. I'll use imagery to help with that. Uh, when I was in college, I was at a church, uh, and the pastor that uh, the church I was going to at the time, I was listening to him preach, and he was talking about this moment when uh, after church one day, he was walking to his uh, truck that was in the parking lot. And as he walked to his truck, he uh, noticed there was a piece of trash blowing across the parking lot. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to leave that trash there. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to throw it in the trash. So he picks it up, and when he picks it up, he instantly realizes that folded up piece of paper is uh, the centerfold of a playboy. Now, this is the moment, isn't it? This is the moment where we all need to be aware. Do, do we need a fence? Or is our heart formed? Do, do we have a reflex in that moment that's correct? This is the moment. And I'll never forget him saying, you know, in that moment, and he wasn't doing it in a boastful way. He's like, this is one of the first times in my life where I get to celebrate this. In that moment, my heart did not leap toward a lustful look, but my heart leapt toward grief and anger that an image bearer of Jesus is being exploited. That, that's a reflex a reflex that didn't need a fence, but a reflex that had been formed by Jesus in such a way where the reflex kept him on the path because he loves what's underfoot. That is Christ being formed in a human heart. Jesus's loves becoming our loves. Jesus's hates becoming our hates. Jesus's grief becoming our griefs. And church, this is the sort of change Jesus wants to make in your heart. This is Christ being formed in you. The Spirit of God lives in you to form your heart like that. That sort of deep, profound formation. So this is the location of formation. It's your heart. And this is what it looks like for your heart to be formed into the image of Jesus. Your heart reflects the heart of Jesus reflexively. Now back to our text. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, or the NIV. Above all else, above everything else, guard your heart, 
for everything you do flows from it. This text shows us the location of formation and the fight of formation. This text is showing us that the formation of your heart is a fight. And it is one of the most important fights or battles or wars of your life. And now you see it in our text. Again, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance. What does it mean to keep your heart with all vigilance or above all else, keep your heart? Um, it, it just imagine the moment if, if two hungry lions were roaming around your neighborhood. And I mean, they just roamed. Uh, nobody could control them. They were just roaming free in your neighborhood. And you knew over the last couple of weeks they'd eaten three or four people. Uh, so they're just, I mean, it's, it is a scary moment when you hit the front door. Now imagine that. And, and imagine the moment where you uh, hit the front door. It's, it's 7.30 and you're leaving your house and you unlock the door and you step outside. What is the posture with which you're stepping outside? Vigilance. That's the posture. You might have been thinking about a million things as you were getting dressed this morning and kind of getting your life together. But when you step outside of the house, you are thinking about one thing. There are hungry lions eating people out here. So I've got to do everything I can to be on guard to, to keep myself from hungry lions. That is the imagery this uh, proverb is using for us. Saying above all else, with all vigilance, whatever else you do today, make sure this is happening. Make sure you are guarding your heart. You are keeping your heart. Now, why would we need to keep our heart or guard our heart? Well, because formation is a fight. That's the reason. The only way for Christ to be formed in you is for you to guard your heart to keep your heart above all else, with all vigilance, to, to wake up every day knowing formation is a fight. I am today in a fight for formation. When you think about your life, there are no neutral days in your life. You have never lived a neutral day. Every day that you live, your heart is either being reformed so that it reflects the heart of Jesus reflexively or it is being deformed. There's no neutral day. Every day, it's one of those two thing, uh, things happening, reformed or deformed. There are no other options. So uh, the question of your life is not if you are being formed. The question of your life is what is forming me? To what end is it forming me? That is the question of all of our lives. What is forming me? Who is forming me? And we know this from the scriptures, your flesh is fighting to form your heart. We know that. We, we, we all know that we have a heart problem and that heart problem is hereditary. We've all inherited a sin nature. This is what the Bible calls the flesh. It's that old man, right? That, that old man that doesn't like God, that, that comes out distrusting God. When our first parents sinned, they passed that sin nature down to us. So we all come out of the womb, not with perfectly pure hearts. That's not true. We come out of the womb with deformed hearts. We come out of the womb with hearts spring-loaded to take 
our hearts' longings and desires and loves and wants and hopes to everything but God. That's how we come out of the womb. Hearts spring-loaded to do that. And this is what the Bible calls idolatry. It's loving and trusting and hoping in anything more than God. And John Calvin was right when he said, our hearts, the human heart, is an idol factory. That's what our hearts are. They're just constantly pumping out idols. We're constantly taking our longings, our wants, our desires to things that aren't God. If we could just get this, then we'll be okay. If we could just have that, then we'll be okay. It's all of our longings being directed away from God to other things. Our hearts are an idol factory. Because of sin, this is what our hearts do. And that's true even if we are in Christ, even if we're a follower of Jesus, this is still true of us. Because as a follower of Jesus, we have a new heart, but it is a not yet perfect heart. So we can all empathize with, we're just continually wandering away from Jesus, away from the path of joy, and we're stumbling, all of us, every day where we find ourselves stumbling off the path of joy over toward the wilderness of death. That's because your flesh is fighting to deform your heart. The world is fighting to form your heart. When the Bible uses the word world, it could be talking about the big ball, this planet that we live on. That's one way the Bible uses it. Uh, but another way the Bible uses it is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, John is not saying don't love the planet. That's not what he's getting at. Uh, that's not the way the, the world is used. In this text, the world is used to describe uh, what we just might refer to as the collective godlessness of a particular culture. That's the world, the collective god godlessness of a particular culture. Uh, so it's the reason we oftentimes say this, uh, Jesus isn't the only one making disciples or forming our heart. He's not the only one doing that. Our culture is making disciples too. Our world is, is th phenomenal. I, I, the culture, the, the world around us does an amazing job of forming our hearts so that it looks like it, not Jesus. That the world is fighting to form your heart. Jesus is not the only one making disciples or forming you. And here's what's so scary about how formation works. We seldom feel our formation. You need to know that about yourself. Most of the way, the forming sort of things work in our life, it's an under the radar reality. We, we, we oftentimes don't perceive it. We don't know what's happening. We don't feel our formation, but it's happening. The world is always doing it. It's always working for our formation or our deforming. The, the world's doing that all the time. I'll just give you a couple examples. Uh, let me ask you this question. If I ask you this, what would you say? Um, if a person watches two or three hours of CNN or Fox News a night, is it forming them? Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is forming them in deep and profound ways. But for those in the room who are watching CNN or Fox News for a few hours a night, I'll guarantee it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I'm just keeping in the know. I'm just like making sure I'm aware of what's... But no, when you, when you watch a couple of hours of CNN or Fox News, 
It's, you're not just doing something. Something is being done to you. You are being formed in that moment. Formation is happening. Uh, let me use another analogy. Um, if I were to come to you and say, hey, you know the person who uh, scrolls through their social media feed for like, you know, like a collective hour or two or three a day. Now, if you're like, gosh, who would ever do that? Uh, at about 9.45 today, uh, your phone came up with a screen time for the last week alert. You should probably take a look at that. So if a person, if I said, what about the person who it's like a collective hour or two or three or 10 a day is scrolling through their social media feed, uh, do you think that is forming them? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, in huge, deep, profound ways, they are being formed. But I'll guarantee for the person doing that, it doesn't feel like they're being formed. But, but when you scroll through your social media feed for hours a day, you are not just doing a thing. A thing is being done to you. You are being formed, deformed in that moment. This is why we're saying nothing is neutral. There is no neutral day. Uh, when you are watching commercials, you're being formed. Uh, when you are listening to talk radio, you're being formed. When you settle into a movie, you are being formed. When you're driving down the road and you glance at billboards, you are being formed. When you're scrolling through TikTok and it's the 90th video, you, you are being formed in all of those moments. It's the, all of those things. You're, you're not just doing something. Something is being done to you. You are being formed in deep and profound ways and you don't perceive it. We're just unaware of how deeply the formation is happening. This is why we're saying formation is a fight. Your flesh, the world around you is continually working to deform your heart so that your heart reflects it reflexively, not Jesus. So what is this text calling you to? This text is calling you to fight with Jesus for the formation of your heart. That's what it's calling you to, to fight with Jesus for the formation of your heart. Now, here's the great news. If you are in Christ, Right? If, if God has met you and rescued you and saved you, if you are in Christ, you really have been given a new heart. And that new heart has new hopes, new desires, new wants, new longings. That new heart reflects the heart of Jesus because it's Jesus' heart that's been given to you. That new heart knows the reflexes of Jesus because it's his heart that he's put inside of you. But that new heart is a not yet perfect heart. Uh, maybe think of it like ore. So uh, think of, uh, about gold ore. Uh, you've got this big piece of rock and inside of that rock is pure gold and there's a lot of it. It, there's all sorts of gold, pure gold in that rock, but that rock also has a lot of impurities, doesn't it? And so what is the process of getting to the gold so the gold can be seen? It's this slow, painful process of chipping away the rock, chipping away the impurities, chipping away everything that's not the gold so that the gold can be seen. That, that's the journey. And that's the journey of formation. It's that slow work. It's that hard work. And there's a million things working against that work in your life. 
But it's that slow work of chipping away everything that is not the heart of Jesus so that the heart of Jesus can be seen, so that you can reflect the heart of Jesus reflexively. Now, here's the great news. There's a million things working against it, but as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And friends, I just want to say this to you. God, like the God of the universe is for you in the fight for formation. He is working with you. He is helping you. He is lending his strong arm to you in this fight of formation because God wants Christ formed in you. He wants your heart to to reflect the heart of Jesus reflexively. So, So your God is in this fight. If God is for you, who can be against you? He is with you in the fight for formation. So what do we need for our heart to be formed? I'm just going to land here, and this will kind of just introduce the next few months for us as a church family. For our hearts to be formed, reformed, so that Christ is being formed in us, so that it reflects the heart of Jesus reflexively. What does our heart need? There's two things. First, your heart must see. Your heart has to not just see in a way that's acknowledging something's there, but, but seeing in a way where you are captured by what you're seeing. Your heart has to see the person of Jesus and the promises of Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding, seeing, being captured by the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How are we changed? How are we transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another? How does that happen? By beholding, by seeing the person and promises of Jesus. And this is what we're going to explore for the next month together. The person, we're just going to hold up the person of Jesus and all the promises that flow from the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. We're just going to hold them up together and stare at them as a church family. And as we are beholding Jesus, we're all going to have the chance to become more like Jesus. One degree of glory to another. One step after another. Your heart must see the person and promises of Jesus. That's our next month. And then here's the second thing we need. Your heart doesn't just need to see your your heart and its reflexes. Your heart must be trained. Uh, This is why the scriptures tell us to train ourselves for godliness. This is why Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What Jesus has worked in you, a new heart, we work out so that that new heart is forming, Jesus is forming everything about our life. And we work that new heart out by training our heart so that it reflects Jesus reflexively. And so this is what we'll explore later on in the fall um, as we work through what we might just call spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines, those practices that have been used by Christians throughout Christian history to see their hearts reformed by the Lord, to see their heart reflect more and more the heart of Jesus reflexively. Um, Behind me, underneath that text of formed, is a picture of the Grand Canyon. 
I don't know how many of you have been there. It's an amazing sight. I actually had the chance to propose to Laura, my wife, on the banks of the Grand Canyon, on the South Rim. It's just unbelievable. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth. When you walk up to it and you see it, the grandeur is captivating. It's amazing. And do you know what formed that huge canyon? A relatively small stream of water. And in the same way, these small, seemingly insignificant habits, these practices over a long period of time, gradually, slowly, reform us into something beautiful and grand. Christ formed in you. So church, let's be on guard. Let's keep watch. And may we give ourselves to this fight, the fight of formation. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? Let me give you a chance to listen to the Lord for a moment. This is your chance to ask the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful today. heart with all vigilance keep watch over your heart I think the place that's going to start for most of us is and really this is homework I want to give you this week it is for you to spend 10 to 15 minutes with the Lord and it can start right now in this room or there in your living room if you're watching online it can start right now for you It's 10 or 15 minutes of you sitting with the Lord and asking him this one question. What in my life right now is most deeply forming me? What is forming me? It's not a question of if something's forming you. It's what is forming me. But what in my life is deforming me right now? What in my life is training my heart to reflect it reflexively, not not Jesus. But what is deforming me? 